electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the good, the bad, and the question of whether things are still going to get ugly for stocks and your money. We debate that with the investment committee today. Joining me for the hour right here at Post 9, Bryn Talkington, Joe Terranova, and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets here. Dow's good for about 161. The S&P 500 had given up 4,000, but there it goes, uh, 39.73. Uh, NASDAQ just dipping negative, but a lot of talk about what's happening in the bond market, as always. So, Bryn, I turn to you. I, I sort of frame this as the good and the bad. The, the good is you get some bank stress relief with what happened today with First Citizens and the assets of SVB. The bad is the yield curve steepening now, flashing yet another recession signal. So what do we make of it? Well, the good is also that tech stocks continue to go higher as an investor. But I think the bad is that the credit crunch that we may or may not be coming upon us due to what's happening in the regional banks has not even remotely manifested itself into public equities. And so I think while equities have been very resilient, I think we will definitely start seeing cracks in the economy. And so we continue to hear these recession alarms, inverted yield curve, all sorts of data. But at the same time, the consumer is still strong. Growth is there. And so I think the market is like, prove it to me. Prove it to me that we're going to actually go into a contraction. And as it stands right now, the market is head of the economy. Yeah, because the bond market, Joe, thinks we're going that way, right? Into a recession. Stock market, to Bryn's point, was up last week in the face of all of the noise that was around. So what do we do? The good stress relief from the bank space, at least for the moment. The bad is the bond market is is leading the way, and the stock market seems to, again, not be necessarily in agreement. Yeah, this morning I had a text exchange with our friend Larry Altman, who you remember, and Larry said to me, I said, Larry, it feels like from last week, if you were bearish, think about everything that happened last week. You had a a hawkish Chairman Powell, you had Deutsche Bank, you had uh, Xi and Putin together for a photo shoot, and then you had $5.1 trillion go into money market funds. I said, Larry, it kind of feels like maybe in the short term, if you're a bear, you're out of bullets here. You're out of negative news that could push the market lower. And Larry said, you know what? Maybe the market can catch its breath. And I think that's exactly what we're setting up for as we go into earnings, because ultimately, no one knows how this market's going to resolve itself until we understand what earnings are. But last week was a, was a seminal moment because you had so much negative news, and I thought that the market absorbed it in partic- uh, particularly well. Last point on that is the pattern has been Friday selling. Really odd on Friday. There was no Friday selling, and in fact, the banks rallied when that morning we had the news about the stress surrounding Deutsche Bank. I mean, Powell may have said, you said a hawkish Powell. Now, He may have sounded hawkish, but the market didn't necessarily take it that way. I've seen some of the commentary that suggested it was as dovish uh, a hike 
as you could have possibly gotten. I mean, the market's pricing in cuts. So I think the bond market has been right throughout this cycle of, of uh, rate hikes. Uh, I completely think that Chairman Powell is going to have to pause. I think that's what the bond market is saying. I think the economic contraction is ahead. I think, unfortunately, Main Street is about to feel what Wall Street has felt for the last year. So if I look at the bond market and I see the dramatic fall, Scott, in a two-year from 508 at the beginning of March down to 370 on well, I Friday. Mean, and the spread between the two and 10 now is like 47 basis and points. That's telling it was, you, uh, it was that's, more than 100. But that's, that is absolutely telling you exactly what I'm messaging, that the economic contraction is about to happen. And it's about to happen on Main Street. So why then, Steve, is the stock market still performing in a fairly resilient manner, though, Beneath the surface, it's not like it's a broad-based move higher. It's been primarily carried by mega cap tech. Some of the more cyclical areas of the market have certainly had a bit more trouble as you increase these concerns about a recession. Yeah, so the market is always predisposed to going higher. So if there's any data out there and you have 10 data points, nine of them are negative, the market is going to focus on the one. What's it focusing on then? What's the one? So I, I think one? what it is focusing on is that rates have come down. Not seeing that today. Today it's reversing, of course. And they're taking a look at that and they're saying, okay, rates are coming down. Bond market gets there first generally. So I think that the Fed is done and the possibility of easing going forward towards the end of the year. I don't think that's the accurate narrative. Okay, I think the Fed can still go 25 bips. I don't think that matters at all. There's like a 50% chance, I think, right. of a May yeah. hike at this point. But, but that doesn't matter. If you freeze the moment in time right now in terms of Fed activity and the tightening cycle, you still have not frozen the damage to the economy. That's going to come. It really hasn't come yet. The bank crisis is really the first part of that. When I say crisis, it's limited to poor risk management, to bad actors in the banking industry. So I do think that one thing we should maybe we should get Lazry on because the shadow banking system at this point dwarfs the main banking system and we could see stresses there. Hey, let me hold your thought on that because you're you're segueing right into uh, more breaking news that we have with Steve Leisman and uh, more of this commentary from the vice chair of supervision uh, Michael Barr right Steve? Yeah, right uh, uh, Scott great interruption there because I think there's some food for you guys to, to uh, to feed on right here, which is that Michael Barr, the vice, the vice chairman of bank supervision, will say the Fed plans to propose, among a, a, a series of changes here, propose long-term debt requirements for large banks that are not globally systemic important banks. He says the Fed needs to enhance stress testing with multiple scenarios. They had, uh, according to our reporting, only really looked at scenarios where interest rates decline. Also says the Fed will explore changes to liquidity rules and other reforms as well. So the Fed needs to evolve its regulation to account for the recent failures. Among those changes would be looking at customer behavior, the, the role of social media, rapid growth of a bank, deposit runs, and of course, interest rate risk. That said the Fed, Bar said the Fed is evaluating whether the more stringent standards that were relaxed in 2019 would have led to better risk management. And now on the history here, Scott, very interesting, said the staff highlighted that Silicon Valley Bank had interest rate and liquidity risk to the Fed board in February 2023. And then he'll talk, he talks about a series of warnings from supervisors uh, in uh, May 2022 about ineffective oversight. 
They lowered the bank rating, uh, sorry, they lowered bank management rating to fair in the summer of 2022. Supervisors expressed concern about interest rate risk in October of 2022. He does go on to say the banking system remains strong and resilient and well capitalized, and he's committed to ensuring that all deposits are safe. I'll leave it there, Scott. But um, in the wake of things like this, there are often uh, regulatory changes. Um, and it looks like, at least from the Fed's perspective, some need to happen, including perhaps thinking about rolling back some of those changes in 2019 and maybe adding a few others. Scott? Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, you know, Congress is ultimately going to have a say in all that, too. So, Steve, I appreciate that. You'll let us yes. know uh, any more headlines that come out from that. But, Joe, it leads me right back to you uh, in terms of stress on the banks how we're thinking about the space in general. You bought J.P. Morgan. I did. And you bought it at the close on Friday. Why? It's because it's a very conservative approach of trying to raise my investment towards the financial sector. When I say the financial sector, Scott, I'm already along Visa, MasterCard. I wanted to touch upon the banks. I'm already along Bank of America. Um, so I feel that J.P. Morgan uh, is, is the most immune, if you would, to the stress and contagion that we're experiencing right now. I think they're going to be ultimately a long-term beneficiary. And quite candidly, if we have a significant problem with J.P. Morgan, uh, there's ultimately nothing that you could buy in the banking system. So I had been waiting to buy J.P. Morgan to get into the stock. It had gotten a little bit away from me. And I felt as though given the price action on Friday, given the strength that we saw towards the end of the day in a lot of the Russell and the banking sector, it was the time to go in and take the position. You know, you had a couple positive calls today. Key and M&T get upgraded over at City Weiss. You own Key and you bought that last week. Yeah, I bought it last week and I bought it again at the end of the week. Uh, Why'd you do that? Well, I, I went through their, uh, their latest filings uh, and, you know, their lending book, the biggest share I have in the lending book is 12% is in non-tenant commercial, meaning office buildings. So that's not all going to go away. I hope those credits are good. You're seeing stress in there. I mean, you're seeing major firms walk away, private equity firms, real estate, walk away from their ownership in some of these properties because they're underwater and they see no good prospects for leasing out the vacant land. So I think that's a big stress in the banking system now because um, a lot of owners, you know, as we saw transaction-free money, bought short-term mortgages, you know, or rather borrowed short-term, hoping to keep that tease rate, so to speak, five years. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that go away. So that's an issue there. But key overall, monstrous yields, about five, six times earnings, six times earnings, I you, guess you now. Do you think they can more manage the risk that may be facing some other regionals yes. in that particular area of commercial real estate? Yes, uh, I, I do. And, and frankly, it's such a small part of it and the reserved that I don't think it's an issue. Could it be a headline issue? Yes. But it's not a substantive issue for the banks. So I also added to B of A and I added to Goldman. I mean, you're getting these on sale. And just look at what happened in the bank crisis in 08 to 2010, right? You saw maybe 200 banks go out, but the only big ones that went out were Bear and Wamu. Bear's not really a bank, right? So they're going to be safe. They're going to be stronger. I'm including Key in this. So when the hysterics happen, that's where you can generate alpha going forward in the next six months. So wait a minute. Years. So wait a minute. So you're adding to these financial stocks, yeah. right? But you're still negative overall, or are you less negative than you were? No, I'm still negative overall. But if but if if I'm looking at stocks that have gone through their bear market, where the valuations are, there's risk no matter in what market. You always have 10% down risk to any stock, any scenario, etc. I don't think I've got that 10% in these names. And if I do, 
that's that's the extent of it. But my upside's tremendous over the next few if years. If you're wondering why we're showing you this on the screen here as we're having a conversation about the banks, it's because Bob Iger, uh, who's returned, obviously, as you know, as, as Disney CEO, has sent a, a letter. Uh, here it is just moments ago to staff. And the first round of those 7,000 planned layoffs at Disney have, in fact, begun. Uh, and that letter documenting about how that process will unfold over the next several months. Mr. Iger saying the larger round of notifications will happen in April with several thousand more staff reductions. So we just wanted to keep you up to date on the news that's moving as it happens. And there's the stock move again, widely telegraphed, known by all, uh, but nonetheless official with this letter that came out from Mr. Iger today. Just want to make sure we're on the yeah. same page. How about that issue? Because I know you want to get in on that conversation. Yeah, too. So I think that when looking at the regional banks, which I've been doing work on, like maybe there's some fat pitches here. So I've actually been doing a lot of work on M&T. And so what's interesting, I advise all viewers go to M&T's investor relations. You can look at their 2021 um, annual letter from the report. And I think that it's so ironic that the, the supervisory committee is going to come out and put long duration metrics or long duration analytics on these banks. They walked through in 2021 how they did not take long duration bets and they walked through the very simple equation of duration and how much you can lose when you have interest rates rising. And so to me, that's like there are so many banks that have the type of fiscal dif- discipline of M&T. So why I haven't bought it yet, though, is because if you read further, in 2021, 63% of the revenues were net interest income, and in 2022, it was 71%. So to me, when I think about regional banks are very simple numerator-denominator. The denominator is the deposits, the numerator the loans. The loans are the unstable one historically. Now those deposits, when your denominator is unknown and unstable, I don't know how much lending they're going to do going forward. I feel like it's pencils down. So I feel like with an M&T, there's probably not that much downside. But I don't know right now if I want to step in yet when I think that in a few months, when we see if we are going to have a contraction, there may be a better entry point, and it may be at the same price. But I think that it's something to watch. But that net interest income, unlike J.P. Morgan, which has five or six business units, yeah. that's not that important. It's really important for these regional banks. But if you're talking about the, the rate of deposits, of uh, the interest rate on deposits going up for the banks, just given what, yeah. what's gone on, lending getting harder to come by, you still feel comfortable adding to the banks here d- despite yeah. what you view as cheap? So, so let's keep in mind, they're not full positions. If I were bullish in the market, they would be full positions. But you identified the issue correctly, right? They're going to have to pay more to keep their deposits there, right? Because now they've got competition, number one. And number two, at the same time, their lending books are going to, are going to decline somewhat. So, but I think that's what's priced into these stocks already, right? That's not new news. Can I be wrong? Yeah, but I built that into it because I'm, I'm prepared for them to go down 10%. They can go down 20%. It doesn't matter. In terms of risk reward, I'd much rather own those than the technology stocks that have moved over the last few weeks, well, we'll, last few months. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But M&T, you own in the Joe T. So let's finish up the banks on that. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, not going to like this answer, but we're within 45 days of the rebalance of reconstitution, consistent with what Bryn has said that uh, that bank was identified as a bank of being fundamentally and technically sound. Um, I have to acknowledge from a technical perspective, obviously, that's been proven to be incorrect. The fundamentals of the bank, though, were uh, strong going into this quarter. And within the next 30 days, we'll take a look and see if they're still strong. All right. So. Weiss, you said you you are still negative, right? The bank buys 
the additions are not indicative of your overall feel of the market. Jeremy Siegel on the network this morning said, I can't be optimistic until the Fed, quote unquote, gets it. Right. So if the market is pricing in cuts and Gunlock, who's going to be on with me in a couple hours on closing bell, says that the Fed's going to be cutting, quote, substantially and soon. What gets you more optimistic? What is the, is the Fed getting it? What does that mean, that they're going to cut? Yeah. If they do cut, do you get more optimistic? I, I don't get that statement. The Fed getting, does that mean they stop? They yeah. stop, you still have the Well, ensue. at minimum, they stop. Right, but I don't think maybe that drives the market for a day. They're not going to blow the whistle and say, we're done, right? They're always going to say we're data dependent. Right. But what does that mean? It means the Fed stopped, but it doesn't mean the damage to the economy is done. So I'm not really focused on the end point of the journey, whether we go into recession or a deep recession. I'm focused on the declining, on the dialogue of declining earnings in this quarter, of hearing more issues through the system going out over the next few months. So what gets me more positive? When I see all those issues, when I see analysts getting really real about where numbers should be. So in terms of earnings numbers. Right. When you think earnings right. have troughed, right. then you get more positive? So take and a look. And you don't think that they have? No, exactly. So take a look. So you've got a forward P of about 19 times. You've got an equity risk premium, which means the value that I, or the return I can get in the market versus what I can get in risk-free you know, instruments like government bonds. You're at near a 20-year low on that. Right. So it's a very tough time to put money in the market from that standpoint. So broadly, looking at stock specific, I like the financials. They haven't been completely de risk, but that's why I went there. Maybe I find other stuff, but I'm going to miss the 10 percent turn, sustainable turn in the market. I'm surely going to miss a lot of these bear market rallies like we've just had. But I'm going to be the last one to tell you when the market's turned because I'm so bearish. What's the deal with with tech if we go back that way, which Microsoft's up 12% in March, Apple up 9%, NASDAQ was up one and three quarters last week. Yeah. If you look at... I mean, it's been... Again, when you say, well, the market's been resilient in the face of all this, I mean, yes and no. It it has, but it hasn't. The the mega caps, as they have done in times past, have have carried the show a little bit. So information technology multiples are up 30% year to date, Scott. It's gone from 18 to 24 NVIDIA, which I own, is the poster child. This year has gone from a multiple of around 50 to 110. So I think these are the thoroughbreds of the stock market. They're the thoroughbreds of the global economy. I think those thoroughbreds need to go back into the stable and have some rest because that's just, I don't think that's sustainable. And I think those types of companies, you get a, you get a bid in those because the Fed is, is going to stop, the Fed's going to pause, the Fed's going to cut. So you've got a multiple re-rating, but now guess what has to happen? Earnings need to back up that multiple expansion. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's why within the tech space, I own a lot of these stocks, but I wouldn't be adding to these stocks right here at this level. Right, Joe. I mean, even the triple crown winner needs a rest. You can't race you know, five times in five weeks. I, I would agree with that, but Goldman Sachs put out a great report this weekend in its weekly kickstart, and it identified the list of mutual fund holdings, uh, what we would call VIP list. And if you look at the allocations, there was significant underweight towards the name that the Bryn is talking about, the Microsofts, the Apples, the areas of the market that in Q4 saw their premium valuation finally begin to contract. So 
We've identified this. At the beginning of the year, the consensus expectation would be that tech would underperform, financials, healthcare, and energy would outperform. And we saw the capitulation two weeks ago in that trade. And I think a lot of what's gone on is the expectation that the economy contracts and now growth becomes scarce. Well, you search the market for where you could find well, consistent, reliable growth. Now you combine that with the fact that there has been one of the highest degrees of under allocation towards these VIP quote unquote names in years. And the recipe for that is that you're going to see significant outperformance. I think we're past that. I think we've seen that. I don't think anyone could expect that's going to continue over the coming weeks. Morgan Stanley on Amazon today, top pick. They see 50% upside, 5-0. No one owns Amazon here? You own Amazon? I do not. No, you don't? No. Uh, I, you own actually- Alphabet. Yeah, I, I own Alphabet. You know, I bought it well. I'm sticking with it. But uh, why won't the laggard be as much of a leader as they think? Fifty percent. You know, it's. Um, I've actually been looking at Amazon, and uh, you know, I may buy it, but you know, it, it's it's been dragged up with the Nvidia's and the others. So I think I get another chance. I'm not in a rush to buy anything. It's not compelling enough for me, Amazon, to step in here right now. Well, what are you looking at it? You say you're looking at it. You may buy it. I mean. Wh- well, if you get a flush in the market, I don't want to start doing my work then, right? I want to be prepared and be up on it. So you have your shopping list, that one that's on it. Deer's on it also. So it's not just technology. It's been a dramatic underperformer, though, month to date in terms of the mega cap and, and I run. Think for good it's reason. only up 4%. Every, everything else in the space, well, Apple's up 85 but all the others either you know, mega or right on the doorstep, if you want to put NVIDIA right. in that group, we're up double digits, percentage have, yeah, points. You also have, though, think about Microsoft and NVIDIA get the chat GPT, the AI push, right? right. And then Tesla re-rates itself because it was so low. And Apple is just coming out as a, as a decent multiple. Amazon still has a high PE. And where do they make money? In the cloud. Why well, would buy Microsoft over that all day long? Because Amazon still loses money on the consumer side. And so I think it's a high PE stock that loses money in very important business that we all use. And people are saying, hey, I'd rather own a Microsoft that has five or six chassis plus this now AI than an Amazon that still has a new CEO, which I get he's been there since 98. And they still they hired, what, 740,000 people. And they've got during the, the slowest pandemic. cloud. Their growth, yeah. their cloud growth has slowed the most out of. Microsoft, Google, anybody's. Just one last point before we take a quick break, because we sort of started the show with the good of you know some of the stress relief of, of the bank on the banks. The bad being the more steep yield curve now, or steepening, right, which is yet another flashing recession signal. And on that note, Jan Hatzius of Goldman Sachs has literally just upped his probability for a recession in the next 12 months, back up to 35 from 25, uh, for whatever it's worth. I mean, there's areas of the economy that are already in recession. We know that. Technology is in a recession. Commercial real estate's in a recession. Sure, but growth overall is not. Growth overall might not be. Economic growth might not be. But the important areas of the economy are clearly in recession. But that's my point. Whether it's 35 or 45 or it's 50, it's going along there. By the time you're in a recession, by the time you said two negative quarters right. of GDP, you're coming out of it already. Right. So forget about Well, that's where my the whole point is. to you, yeah. though, about at what point do you start to get more positive? That's my point. Maybe you can't be negative if forever. Give, if I had to give you a time frame, maybe it's six months. 
because I think at that point, the analysts and the companies won't be able to be so optimistic and say resilient, resilient. They're saying, here's the harsh reality. Our earnings can be down 10%. We're cutting more jobs. We're cutting more, we're cutting more services that we don't need. So I think that's when you do it. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. Coming up, our call of the day. It's a big industrial stock, a downgrade today. Shares losing about 10% in a month. We'll find out how the committee is positioning in that space. We'll do it next. We're back on the half in two. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1-Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It's our call of the day, and it's Caterpillar downgraded to underperform today at Baird. Stock's not doing all that much, but they did cut the price target to 185 from 230. It makes us, you know, wonder about whether, Bryn, industrials are a good place to be right now. You clearly don't think so since you bailed it last summer. Yeah, from I the mean, space in general, right? Yep. So look, we, we got out of small cap value, which is a 15% position, which ironically was 45% regional banks and about 25% industrials. And so just like the playbook, as we go into late stage economic cycle contraction, you want to underweight those types of areas that are economically sensitive. And so industrials would fit within that camp. That being said, there's a lot of people, the narrative about onshoring, yada, 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 mm-hmm. all that stuff. This recession that is yet to happen, the companies have been quite resilient, but still I'm going to go to the playbook and stay underweight those industrials until further notice. Joe, you own deer if you want to put that in the group in the Joe T. You don't own cat. I personally own deer as well. I don't own cat. Um, From a technical perspective, this is the right spot to upgrade both deer and caterpillar. It's bumping up against what has been uh, longer term support going back to last September. To upgrade? You upgrade, just said upgrade. De- upgrade deer and cat, correct. Okay, so you disagree with the call then. They downgraded yes. to underperform. Yes, that is correct. What I, what I am saying to you is the trend from September, which is where it kind of bottomed the industrials. I'm looking at a chart of Caterpillar right here. This is the last line of defense, so to speak. This is the area of support. The high was back in January. I think that was the time to get out of a Caterpillar, to get out of a deer. I think it's coming up on this area where you could find a degree of support. Agriculture's been significantly under pressure, rather. 
Hopefully, if there's a little bit of a turn in agriculture pricing, that's going to benefit deer. And then let's remember, you know, there's still the optimism surrounding the China reopening, which would be positive for Caterpillar. You're coming off 3% GDP. Hopefully, that those figures rise above 45 back towards 5%. So, so there's a spot... If there is a spot where I would say you would take a position, okay. Caterpillar and Deer would be right here. So recession doesn't matter. I think the recession was already priced into the industrials. But I think the market is smart wait, enough wait, to wait, see wait. that. But, but, the, but the industrials had been going up. That was a recession priced in. A lot of the industrials were hitting industrials like new peaked, highs. The industrials peaked in January, looked at, at the manufacturing figures, the PMIs. As soon as the PMIs began to deteriorate, you saw the industrials deteriorate with it. The market's smart enough to recognize that you would see the contraction in PMIs, uh, and, I, and I think priced accordingly. I just go back because Marco Kalanovic, by the way, has a new note that came out during the prior break that says Q1 likely marks the high point for equities increasingly cautious on cyclicals, value, and banks. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with him, but let me... Well, you can't agree with him on the banks. No, I, I don't agree with him on the banks, but he's not always right either, and neither am I, so hopefully that's the one he's wrong okay. on. But cyclicals but look, and value. Right, though. but let me ask you this, Joe, because I, I, I like deer. Uh, only about 13, 13 uh, billion of their 55 in revenue is construction, rest is ag. What I worry about with ag, though, is that farmers have seen you know, corn prices up, everything. So they benefited from the inflation, higher margins. They've also been able to buy equipment at lower prices. Now, right. similar to what we're seeing in the auto market, seeing much higher borrowing costs. So how do you equate that to being the bottom being in when they've got their revenue declining and their costs going up? Well, I, I never say the bottom is in. I didn't say but that. But I mean, I said, how would you equate I said, this that is to, the last, to, buy, to buy it here? Let me finish. This is the last line of defense technically. And then from the fundamental perspective with agriculture, you're coming into what is historically the strongest seasonal period. So if you get the consistency of a strong seasonal effect, that's going to be a positive fundamental condition that could benefit the technical support that you're seeing. Yeah, but okay? you, you but, last but line if, of defense, no doubt about but it. But if Steve. you if you all you said these were good points to establish positions, if you're thinking of ostensibly putting, declaring the bottom in those stocks. Yes. Okay. So this is an area of what I would call low risk and high reward. Okay. You could buy these stocks here with a very tight stop. In the example of Caterpillar, I don't have it in front of me. The Caterpillar is trading about 216. You're buying Caterpillar 216. You could literally put a stop in. We had it up before. It's just you could literally you knew it was right put at a stop in, okay, at 209 and a half. You could put a stop in right there. So you're talking about mid-single digit stops losses on Caterpillar and on Deer. And that's just looking at the technical perspective and looking at some potential fundamental fresh inputs that previously didn't exist for these two specific names. By the way, for the industrial sector overall, I think there's extreme distortion. You have to go bottoms up to find the opportunity. Yeah, I, look, I'd love to buy Deer. I mean, you look at- By the way, I think Caterpillar's at 216.45 right now. We don't have it up right now, but- yeah, I think that's where it is. Uh, it's 12 times earnings. And by the way, so is CAT. They're both trained the same. But, but if you look at CAT, it's energy, it's minerals, it's construction, all the areas that are going to suffer from a declining economy. So I wouldn't buy CAT here under any circumstance. In terms of deer, I think I can get it about 20% lower. But you keep talking like you think you can get everything 10 to 20% lower. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I can. Yeah, I mean, it's it just yeah. me, right? Yeah. Bear market, Scott. Bear market.
I didn't say I can get the not banks 20% though. lower. I think, I think what you're trying to say is You not said everywhere. the banks may go 10 to 20%. They could I go 10% lower. They could go 20% lower. Right. That's my risk. That's my downside. Right. You're not going to buy any stock that has no downside potential. You know, just I missed you, Weiss. Yeah. <laughs> I missed you. It's good to be yeah. back. Yeah, well, oh, I, right. I, I tried to find out where you're standing at Whistler and send you a picture of me. But, <laughs> yeah. but. Up next, the one part of the ETF market investors have been piling into during the recent turmoil. We are following that money. But first, a message from halftime committee member and Hightower Advisor Chief Investment Strategist Stephanie Link as we celebrate women's heritage. I learned very early in life the importance of financial independence, and I found a job that helped me get there. It's empowering, it's challenging, and it's also a sense of freedom. It's possible to have it all, to have a career and to have a family. Follow your dreams, stay focused, anything is possible. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to the Halftime. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's your CNBC News update. Philadelphia residents are stocking up on bottled water after officials warned the public about a chemical spill leaking into the Delaware River. Now, testing shows the city's water supply is safe. No signs of contaminants, but the city's watching in case they show up. And they're telling residents the tap water is safe to drink, at least through this evening, but they're keeping an eye on it. Ohio's attorney general is accusing Cigna, Humana, and Prime Therapeutics of taking part in a price-fixing scheme involving insulin, according to a new report from the Wall Street Journal. The lawsuit alleges the three companies shared information from a Swiss subsidiary to gain leverage in talks with drug makers for rebates. As a result, the companies restricted coverage of some insulins and other medication if they didn't get the desired rebate, according to this lawsuit. The Commodity Futures Trading Commission is suing Binance and its founder over allegations the crypto platform knowingly violated U.S. regulations by listing unregistered crypto derivative products. We'll keep our eye on that. Scott? Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer. Now to Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Hey, Bob. Scotty, good to see you. We are approaching the end of a wild first quarter for stocks and bond investors, and ETF flows are reflecting that turmoil. U.S. equity funds have seen outflows But international equity funds have seen very big inflows. Treasury bond ETFs have seen huge inflows. But corporate bond ETFs have seen outflows. What? Let's make sense of it all with DJ Tierney. He's the director and senior investment portfolio strategist for Schwab Asset Management. DJ, you're sort of the Schwab's voice for ETFs, but I know you travel a lot to Schwab offices around the country. What are you and Schwab telling investors right now who are nervous about a recession, nervous about banks? What are you telling them to do right now? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, Great to see you again. Thanks for having me back. One of my favorite parts of my role as the index strategist for Schwab Asset Management is meeting with advisors. I spend a lot of time on the road with advisors uh, talking to them about asset allocation. The last couple of weeks, I've been in Schwab branch offices. And uh, maybe not a surprise to you, but 
very high engagement right now between investors and advisors. And so I'm seeing firsthand Schwab advisors in action, counseling investors uh, on navigating this market turmoil and volatility. And really what they're doing is they're doing their best to keep investors focused on the long term, long term strategic asset allocation, and avoiding overreacting to these short term moves and the market turmoil we're all living through right now. You know, I mentioned uh, big flows at the top. Uh, Outflows from U.S. equity, but inflows into international equity, huge inflows into treasuries, but big outflows from corporate and high yield. The investors have just been all over the map this quarter. Look at these inflows and outflows, but particularly the treasury inflows, treasury ETF inflows are quite amazing. Can you make sense of this? What are the flows telling you right now? Well, it is a lot more compelling right now for fixed income. And so fixed income bond ETFs have been on the rise for the last couple of years. But now what's unique with the, with the Fed rate increases, you've got material uh, yield. And front-end treasuries are, are a pretty compelling place to be right now to generate income and also find safety amid the market volatility. So not too surprising to see the big flows there. International equity is not quite as intuitive, but it's a nice reminder that ETFs can really serve as a diversifier. And so, uh, you know, maybe the fundamentals for international equities might look a little better given their performance over the last five, 10 years. So it might be the work of those advisors really keeping people diversified and doing asset allocation. I'm amazed at these U.S. equity funds. Normally we see inflows, but not this quarter. There's been outflows for U.S. equity this quarter. Is, Is this a delayed effect from the poor performance last year, or maybe we have less liquidity because the Federal Reserve has been raising rates. Make sense of these outflows because it's a pretty rare occurrence. It is, yeah, and I think it's, I think it's a reflection of, uh, of human behavior, Bob. We had a pretty tough year last year overall, right? Broad market indices down almost 20%, and then, and then couple that with a choppy first quarter and volatility. And so you probably are seeing some emotion there and people moving away um, when intuitively, you know, when prices go down, it might be a better time to add. But that's probably what we're seeing is kind of rear view uh, after effects of a poor market. Interesting if you peel back and you dig a little deeper inside the flows, the two-way flows of equity ETFs, what you see is that the, the, the funds that are getting inflows are quality, uh, dividend, uh, and even value ETFs. If you look at the top 10 ETFs that did get money in the first quarter, that's exactly what you see, quality and dividends. Thank you, DJ. Now, we're going to have a lot more on where investors are putting their money coming up on ETF Edge. That's 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. DJ will be joined by Nate Geraci. He's the president of the ETF store. That's ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob. Appreciate that. Bob Pisani, thank you very much. Up next, our chart of the day, a biotech stock hitting all-time highs. Just got a new buy call today, plus Joe Terranova making moves in that space, which is why we discuss next. to our chart of the day now. It is Regeneron hitting fresh all-time highs in the session today. There's the stock. Uh, you can see it, $820 uh, and a half. Upgraded today, SVB Securities uh, upgrades that stock to outperform. Target goes to 976. Joe T in the Joe T. You own that. Trades at a reasonable valuation as well. It's, you know, people look at a stock like this at above $800 and they say this, this is probably a, a hyper growth or a extreme valuation stock, but it's not. Trades about 20 times. Uh, fundamentally, you're seeing a very 
strong balance sheet with this company. Mm -hmm. They are maximizing the opportunities that they have to keep their debt levels low. And then obviously they've got the revenue growth. And for all those reasons, uh, that's why it's been a name that's been included in the portfolio. The space has been big for you. You bought the IBB. Uh, on Friday at the close as well. I did, and you know, I, I want to credit a little bit Adam Parker on this because Adam has put out some excellent notes in the last couple of weeks talking about taking the opportunity uh, in healthcare, combining it with technology. You've seen such a precipitous decline, the underperformance in healthcare year to date. Mm -hmm. Now take that, add upon it the layer of technology. So I went in, I bought the IBB. The difference between the IBB and the XBI is the equity size class. The IBB, you're really focusing on a small cap biotech. With uh, the IBB, you're talking about an all cap biotech companies. So that's why I bought the IBB. I want that all cap ownership. Uh, but I will credit Adam once again with writing an excellent note. And if anyone doesn't get his research, they should. Okay. AbbVie, Merck, United Health, Bristol, Lilly, J&J. &J. So you have a lot of exposure there. I do. Uh, Bryn, you do too. Uh, in fact, healthcare was your sector pick in the summit right? And you own the XBI, so you're playing it a little bit differently than Joe. And AbbVie. Yes, so and I would, think, I would think of AbbVie and Regeneron kind of both in that biopharm, like biopharmaceutical. And so I think what's interesting, where everyone talks about growth and value, which I don't like that discussion, it's very binary. Healthcare, and especially these biopharmaceuticals like Regeneron. So Regeneron has this drug, they call it Dupy, that's not the scientific name. And it continues to have more use in the therapeutics. And so last week, you know, the stock was at what, 750 last week and shot up, because it continues to expand into like COPD right now. So I like this space. Regeneron has free cash flow, so does AbbVie. You get a decent multiple, it's not cheap, but I think these stocks can trade at a premium and get to what Adam and you are saying about that technology type growth with that healthcare free cash flow solid multiple that deserves that premium. Okay. By the way, do not miss CNBC's Healthy Returns this Wednesday, March 29th. It's a virtual conference, give you the inside scoop on the hottest healthcare trends, investing insights, and of course much more. QR code is right there on your screen. You can scan that or you can register uh, at CNBCEvents.com. Com. Up next, Midday Word, Mike Santoli, right here at Post 9. All right, we're back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli right here at Post 9. Is it, with his Midday Word, is it, is it too simple to say that the bond market is checking yet another recession box and the stock market isn't yet? Um, it, it definitely is moving in that direction. Uh, I don't know if the stock market isn't, to be honest with you. I think that the market might be kind of sticking a little bit to the slightly more upbeat interpretation of what's going on. Um, but this, the, the mass of stocks is actually repricing lower uh, in response to lower growth expectations. The index has not really done that. We've talked about why. We've talked about the big growth stocks holding things up. But I think the bond market, too, like, it, it's the two years up, like, 18 basis points today. Again, it just keeps whipping around. So I'm really hesitant to say at any particular moment in time, here is the considered wisdom of the bond market about exactly where the economy is going to be in six months. But yeah, short of that, yeah, I do think that, the, that there's alarms going off on the macro front because of the stresses, the dislocations and mortgages and all this other stuff, um, that the stock market is not yet saying, okay, all bets are off. Yeah. Well, there's still a 50% chance, I suppose, of a quarter point hike in May. Right. So, you know, the two years not going to give up on that just yet. Well, there's that. And there's also the stock market saying, OK, does that mean we put in place 
the Fed pause playbook, which is not always positive, but has been positive in recent cycles. Does that mean when you get the rescue of the failing bank, does that the buy that it often is? So I think that's why it's a lot of these mixed signals in terms of, you know, I don't know what my response function is supposed to be if I'm an equity investor tactically. Here. It's kind of like, be careful what you wish for. Do you really, yeah. The pause and a cut doesn't necessarily mean all things are really good. That's right, especially if they happen really quick. Right, yeah. right. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in a couple hours. Right. That's Mike Santoli here for his midday word. Grade My Trade is up next. You can send an email, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us as well. We'll be right back. All right, let's do grade my trade. Joe, you're up first, okay? Uh, Joe T. from Kareem in D.C. Bought Barrick Gold at 1741. What do we do? Buy, hold, or sell? And it's a great question, particularly right now, given what gold has done. So I, I want Kareem to swap out of this company, and I want him to own the physical commodity, which is gold, and the way to do it is through the ETF, which is the GLD. Which you own. I own the GLD. I don't want the idiosyncratic single stock risk that you could take in owning gold miners. But if, I mean, if you do think if, if the miners go down, it's because gold they've has under, gone down, they've under, right? They've, they've already underperformed the GLD. So they're already in the, in the process of underperformance. But you still think there's a bid in gold? I think there's strong enough reasons to own gold, yes. Still, okay. I, okay, I, I appreciate it. That's what I was trying to get at. Bryn, Albemarle uh, and Piedmont Lithium from Jonathan. Uh, thought about purchasing Albemarle five-year lithium trade, opted for Piedmont instead, purchased Piedmont at the end of last year, 42 bucks. Should I exit and purchase Albemarle now or what? I gotta give you that an That was my a. paraphrasing. Right, yeah, I gotta give you an A because, write right, Piedmont is up 15% year to date and Albemarle are slightly down. That being said, I don't think you have to have a binary investment. You can own both because Piedmont technically doesn't produce any lithium yet. That should start coming online the first half of this year. And they fully own um, mines and or, or land in Carolinas and Tennessee, as well as like partial ownership in Ghana and Quebec. So I think you should own both because Albemarle is a much more stable, longer term, diversified miner. Weiss, you get asked about GXO a lot. I do. And Frank in New York is asking you again, but... Um, GXO, 300 shares at 53.75. Yeah, I, I think it's the same guy, just changing his name, actually. Maybe. But uh, look, I mean, it's a B because the stock's down, but this is a unique asset and a great asset. And for, co- for companies looking for other companies can increase their profitability, and GXO does that. Adds over 100 basis points to their profit margins because they do the outsourcing and logistics. So I'd stick with it. It's one of the few positions I still own. Okay. We'll step away quickly, and we'll come back, and we'll do final trades next. Okay, so you heard from Jeffrey Gunlock before the Fed. Now you're going to hear from him after the Fed. His first TV interview since. He'll give you the lowdown of what he thinks happens now. Most importantly, how he's going to trade it from here. Liz Young will be with me as well. Closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern. Hope you'll join me then. Let's do final trades. Bryn Talkington, you are first. I'm going to stick with Regeneron, but since it's run up a lot, you can buy Regeneron, sell the September 870 strikes and get 52 bucks or 6.3%, which also gives you 6% upside on the stock. So 12% in less than six months. Joseph. We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but a nice recovery today in energy. Price of oil back above $71. Hess is a company that I think you could own to play a recovery rally in oil. You still think that that trade is all right? Are you about to have a recovery 
bounce in not only crude but the stocks? I'm looking at Bryn. She's yes. nodding her head and saying yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that answer. Well, she can't, she can't say no. She has to go home to Houston. <laughs> exactly. They won't let her in. All right, Weiss, what do you got? B of A, but I'd also be a buyer of J.P. Morgan. Slightly more expensive. Okay. But uh, but I like them both. All right, good okay. stuff. Thanks, guys. Good to be back with all of you and you. I'll see you on the closing bell a couple hours from now. The exchange is down. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.